0: Then I invite you to invest directly alongside us in the same type of institutional investments that I personally invest in. These are located in some of the strongest markets across the country, operated by managers with decades of experience. And we come together to leverage the power of partnership to be able to deliver phenomenal returns. You can learn more and apply to work directly with us at vonfinch.com slash invest. Be able to schedule a time directly with a member of our team and see if this is the right fit for you and your portfolio. That's vonfinch.com/slash invest. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento. And today I've got a very special guest. I'm excited to dive in with Mike Morawski. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm excited to dive into your story because you've been through a lot in life. You've got a ton of experience, over 30 plus years of real estate investment experience. You've controlled over $285 million in real estate properties. You've worked with a number of up and coming investors. And we're going to talk a little bit about your story because it's a pretty unique one. And I love that you're coming back and that it's really a story that you guys are not going to want to miss. So we'll, we'll save that for just a minute from now, but uh, before I move forward, are you ready to get into things? I am. All right. I'm excited about getting into things. That's what I like to hear. Get excited because this is the one life we get to live. And so kind of looking at your life, why don't we start out by looking back at what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today?
1: Boy, that's a great question. You know, and and, uh, I don't get asked that a lot, uh, which is interesting. And I, you know, what I tell people though, is I didn't come from a family that was entrepreneurial, but yet I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started many businesses over the years, a couple that have been really successful. Um, and I think, you know, I, I didn't have any real estate experience either growing up. So real estate was not something that was talked about at home or, and it's amazing that I got into real estate and have enjoyed it so much. And I'm so passionate about it. Right. But, uh, I, I remember this, I was probably eight years old sitting on the side of a swimming pool. We we're on family vacation and I it, we're at some resort. And I remember asking my dad at the time, I said, hey, what are all the rooms? And, you know, in his infinite wisdom and given the benefit of the doubt, because he didn't know anything about real estate when I look at it now, he said, people come here and they stay here and they pay the owner money. And Stephen, that was the point I said, man, I want to be the owner. I want people to pay me the money. And I think that that was something that
0: always stuck with me heading into the real estate space that's so cool. I can remember back when I was a kid watching HGTV and seeing these amazing buildings transform from just a total junker into something absolutely incredible. And then reading rich dad, poor dad at 17 and realizing that, Oh wow. Like people can make a living. And there's a whole nother way of thinking other than this traditional nine to five style. And, you know, it took me 10 years before I even got into real estate or took that first action to actually close a deal. But it's cool to see where those ideas really start. Yeah, for sure. Tell me a little bit about your background in real estate. And then obviously we'll dive into future forecasting exactly where things are at today. But talk to me, you were closing a lot of deals. How did you end up getting into the real estate business? So I was in the construction
1: business. I had a general contracting business. Uh, it's funny how that even started, but I was in the swimming pool business and I couldn't keep guys working all year long. So they would leave in the fall, uh, go on unemployment and I'd have to hire new guys in the spring and retrain them. And it was just, it was mindless, um, expense that I figured, well, if I go and I start doing remodeling, I can keep these guys busy all year long. So I started doing kitchen and bath remodeling. The next thing I knew I was d- building room additions and then we were doing apartment, uh, renovations. And, and that's where I really got it was in the apartment renovations. But, uh, I woke up one morning and, and, you know, I was married at my first wife at the time. And I woke up one morning and I go, man, I can't do this anymore. And just burnt out. I, I was still banging nails and, and just so I decided to sell the company. I sold my company and took a year off. And during that year, um, my wife and I did a couple of house hacks. Now, Stephen, this is long before house hacking was sexy, right? So um, I, I did a couple of house hacks, but I met a real estate agent along the way who was extremely successful. And here's what I always say, and I've always believed this, is success leaves clues. And if you wanna be successful or do something someone successful has done, go model their behavior. So I went to Todd and I said, Hey, you know, I'd like to go in the real estate business. And he said, man, I think you'd be great at it. You have the skills, the personable skills. I think you'll be really good at it. I said, great. I said, could I come and shadow you and learn from you? He goes, no. I go, well, that's a big help, right? He goes, I'm going to do better than that for you. I'm going to make you a cassette tape. Now I'm really dating myself, Stephen, because I don't think we can find anything to make a cassette tape on today. And so, uh, he did, he made me a cassette tape and I listened to that over and over and over again. And I equate that to podcasts today that you can go back and listen to this information. And Every time you go back, you pick up something new. But listen, he taught me some simple fundamentals. And those simple fundamentals, my first nine months in the real estate business, I sold 78 houses and I went on to build a team selling 125 a year. And I did that for about eight years consecutively. And then in 2005, I saw the market starting to shift, things start to soften, and I knew something was going to happen, but I wasn't sure what. And, you know, back when I was in the construction business, I did a lot of work for a big major syndicator who today is the largest REIT in the world. Uh, They're in 80 countries and own, you know, uh, in every asset class across the board. And I understood the model of syndication you raise private equity, you marry it with a great real estate deal, the two sit together. As long as everything goes well, everybody makes money. So I syndicated my first deal in 2005. Small 11 unit apartment building, went out, I raised $18 million in um, the next 30 months, bought $60 million worth of real estate, it was 4,000 apartments in five different states. And then I went on to build a property management company managing
0: 7,500 units. So you had gotten into the space, you had got started, you started syndicating back pre the crash. I know some things happened. Talk to me a little bit about what happened next as the market started to shift back in 2008.
1: Yeah. So I'm sitting at lunch with my CFO. And, you know, by this point we had built a pretty big company, 4,000 assets, you know, uh, 38 different companies. And um, we're sitting having lunch and the news was on and we were watching people carrying boxes out of Lehman Brothers by the dozens. And I looked across the table at my CFO and I said, we're screwed, aren't we? He goes, yeah, we're in big trouble because we knew the market was imploding. Now, I didn't know how bad it was going to be. And I really thought that there was some safe shelter in the commercial space. But what happened was we started to derail as Lehman Brothers went out of business and AIG and Bear Stern and, and the CMBS markets went upside down. And, you know, all these uh, residential lenders started to blow up. And uh, like I said, I really thought that we would be sheltered from the storm. But what happened was, uh, People started moving out of apartments, occupancy dropped. You know, there was a market correction close to 40%. Now, Stephen, I have been involved in recessions in the past, and a typical recession lasts 17 or 18 months, maybe a 10% correction in the marketplace. Well, this lasted seven or eight years. There's people still affected by it today, and it was a 40% correction. It's pretty hard to weather the storm when you have occupancies drop in your apartment complexes by 25 and
0: 35%. It's hard to pay your bills. Well, I don't think you can really plan for something like that. I mean, even if you're going into deals conservatively, this kind of experience that happened in 2008 was one of the, the largest and worst recessions from a real estate perspective that we've ever seen. It wiped out a lot of people. I have business partner lost tens of millions of dollars. You know, I know you went through some things and tons of people are still going through that. I know a lot of people had bought houses for the very first time, right before 2008, they had waited their entire life to get to that point to make that decision to buy a house. And now they probably will never own a house again. And so it's definitely one of those things where it was a really tough time. When you put it into perspective, it helps you understand what people have been through and really where things can go wrong from that perspective. And I think it's absolutely incredibly important not to be in a place of fear as past investors or as sponsors, but to really understand where things could go and how can we avoid making some of those same mistakes that happened by learning from these past experiences of others. Because by modeling other people's experiences, we don't have to have that same exact experience ourselves by firewalking, and by truly feeling what that emotion felt like and experiencing it in ourselves, we can essentially walk forward and be able to bring that knowledge into our own deals.
1: So here, you know, you say a couple of really interesting things, right? Remember I said, success leaves closed. Well, let my failure be your success, right? Look at the mistakes that I made and learn from them. So I hope by telling my story, that people have a hope and an inspiration to say, man, I get it and I'm not gonna do that, right? So so here's what happened. I bought, in, in 2007, I bought uh, 17 deals for 2,700 units. In 30 months, I bought 4,000 apartments in five different states. We're very unstable. There's an instability in that because we didn't have time to catch our breath along the way and we didn't have time to make sure things were stabilized and as a result of that you start not paying attention to the details plus there were a lot of red flags around me people were telling me things about people that worked for me and that were going on in my organization that i didn't believe and i just ignored um so 2010 shows up and then we're pretty much off the rails by then you know the the market's upside down we're our occupancies have dropped we have a hard time paying the bills And I have some deals that really should just go to foreclosure and the investors, you know, get stung by their investment and those deals go into foreclosure. That's not who I am. I don't want to come to you, Stephen, and say, Hey, I got bad news. The market's bad, but I made some bad business mistakes. I was over leveraged. I paid too much for some properties. I was in markets I shouldn't have been in that were heavily influenced by the car manufacturing industry and by the transportation industry all things you should watch out for and 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 I didn't want to come to you and tell you that so what did I do I started to move money between companies so I would take money from profitable uh, syndicating deals and move that pro- that the cash flow into non-profitable companies trying to right the ship and keep everything afloat again thinking this is going to be short lived and that market's going to bounce back I went to my accountant I went to my attorney They both said, as long as you leave a paper trail, you have notes between those companies, you'll be fine. Well, here's what I didn't do. I didn't tell my investors. You know, I'm the hero, right? I want to make sure I put everything together, do everything right. And I didn't notify my investors. As a result of that, I was charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges and sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. So everything blew up at that point. And um, I, you know, of course, the whole company. We turned, we actually turned the companies over to receivers, sort of a voluntary bankruptcy without doing a bankruptcy. Uh, We actually thought it would kind of quiet the noise. Really, didn't help much. But we we turned the companies over to a receiver who actually uh, worked those deals uh, pretty deep into 2019 uh, was when they sold the last deal that we owned. So I think they made made back a a good portion
0: of uh, some investor funds in that along the way, but. I mean, it's a huge lesson right here for everyone who's listening, because it's when we get into tough times that we start making decisions based on the knowledge that we have. And we think that, Hey, well, this is going to be okay, that there's nothing wrong with this, but it just goes to show why it's so important to disclose everything that is going on to your investors, why it's so important from an investor perspective to expect consistent communication and to really expect that your sponsors are going to be disclosing exactly what's happening. You know, moving money between companies may seem like no big deal, But all of a sudden, as all the chips start falling off the table, things start really taking a turn for the worse and people are looking for somebody to blame. And when the whole world is falling apart, they're going to come looking for you as a sponsor. And as passive investors, it's critical for you guys to really know who you're investing with and, and most importantly, to be getting those communications. So what could somebody do? to avoid being in that situation, both from a sponsor perspective, as well as what could somebody have done differently from a passive vesting perspective, you know, based on what you know now. So I, I had
1: a few years to think about this because I did go to federal prison and I spent, you know, seven and a half years behind the wall and came home and spent another 10 months on home confinement um, and not an experience that anybody really wants to experience. So I tell people today, walk cautiously, underwrite conservatively, do your due diligence and then gut check yourself and double gut check yourself. Because if you are uh, trying to be outside of the box too aggressively, you're going to get stung. You know, one of the things you said a few minutes ago was that you, you really can't plan for that sort of thing. But I think something that I will do differently today in, in an underwriting situation is overraise money. I didn't raise enough money. Hey, you know what? I put 15% down on $60 million worth of real estate. That was crazy. The banks were throwing money at you, Stephen, And so, you know, it was easy to, to leverage like that. Don't ever leverage, you know, beyond, or don't, don't be 85, 80% loan to value. Make sure that you're 75% 70% loan to value on your deals. It just, there's a protection in that. But you know, when you underwrite and you're you're looking at your rents, you know, typically you underwrite a deal and you're gonna show it at 20% uh, vacancy, economic, physical vacancy. Uh, you might show that deal at 20%. And that's fine, that's normal. So, you know, when you back off the numbers to, down to 80%, the deal should run pretty well. But what happens if the market shifts? You know, Stephen, people ask me all the time, what's the worst thing that could happen? I said, everybody could move out. I never thought it would happen, Stephen. Honest to goodness, I never thought it would happen. But what about that gap? So can you over-raise money and put money in an escrow account? Let's just say this. So if I framed it like this today and said, we're gonna raise a little bit extra money. So we're gonna take X percentage of your, investment dollars. We're gonna put it in an escrow account and that's gonna sit there at at you know nominal interest that you're gonna get. Uh but it's separate from the deal. It's just a protection in case we need a cash call, right? In case that occupancy, that that physical or economic occupancy drops below that 80%. How do you cover the gap? And for how long do we need to cover the gap? So I think that it, it it brings some conservativeness to the underwriting as a sponsor today, it, it
0: makes you more responsible. And I think that's really important. I think just to jump in there for a second, I think that's exactly true. And, it, and when you hear sponsors talk about being conservative, it's phenomenal, right? You wanna hear them talking about being conservative, but you as a passive investor, it's really critical to start understanding what does conservative mean? And one example here is, as you've been talking about, Mike, and it's definitely something that we do within our company, it's coming down to that perspective of making sure that you have reserve cash that you have a certain percentage of that cash that is available, that you know, you're going to be in a good position, or as a sponsor, you have your own cash and capital that you're able to infuse back into it, but even better to have it in each individual direct investment, but having that low leverage, not being in a position where you're going 85% LTV. And right now from a bridge product perspective, that's available. I just got off the phone with a debt broker about a deal that we're looking at, and they were talking about up to 85% LTV. And to me, thank goodness that I've had experience talking to experienced investors like you and my former partner who lost nearly everything, but was able to get out before that ended up happening to learn about what actually did happen and what that experience was like and what emotionally it felt like to be on that operator side, losing it all, let alone being on the past investor side to have some of those conversations. So going into it from a perspective of having that sensitivity analysis and really understanding, well, where is that break even occupancy and how long can we really operate this asset if the world did come to a complete stop? And we've just experienced recently exactly what can happen. And we're fortunate that it wasn't worse. I definitely was operating back in July of 2020 and June from a perspective of thinking like 2008. And I went extremely conservative many people around me looked at me like I was crazy, but I didn't want to have that experience. So what else would you have to say about that? You know, obviously you've had a lot of time to think about that. Is anything else you'd like to add there?
1: Yeah, you know, there's a difference though, Stephen, between conservativeness and fear, right? So if you're going to come from a place of fear, you're not going to pull the trigger. You're not going to move forward. And fear is going to keep keep your foot on the pause more so than moving forward. Conservativeness is totally different. It's thinking things through, right? It's thinking things through t- till tomorrow, uh, at, till next week, till five years. You know, while I was gone, I had a lot of time to think, right? And I thought about all the business mistakes that I, I made and I, I wrote them all down and there were probably 30 different things that I, that I did wrong. But some of the things I did right while I was gone, you know, I, I went to prison and I really thought my life was over, right? I thought this is the end. It can't get any worse than this. And I was gone probably 17 days. And then my wife decided to divorce me. And then it got wor- the worst that poss- possibly could get. You know, I thought my life was over. Um, So I was really struggling and having a hard time getting through day to day. But I walked in the gym one day and this guy walked over to me and he said, hey, Don't let these people beat you. All they want to do is take everything from you that you've ever had. They can take your apartments. They can take your money. They can take your real estate. They can take your, you know, cars and turn your family upside down. And and let me be clear on this. I never flew private. I never bought big boats, big cars, big houses, lived a very upper class middle lifestyle and took a nice vacation every year. But you know, I was building a business. Right? I was trying to build a business and and plow the money back into the company. So I I walk in the gym and this kid comes up to me and says, look, they can take all this from you, but what they can't take is who you are and what you're made of. They can't take how you built those successful companies. They can't take from you your desire and your ambition. Beat them, beat them at their own game. Get that 10 years back, come in this gym every day, start working out. And I did. I started going to the gym. I started working out. I started losing weight. I was 35 pounds overweight. Stephen, I came home in better shape spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally than I'd ever been in my life. I, um, I wrote two books while I was gone. I taught uh, real estate investing and property management in prison for five years. There's guys that came home that I've seen around the city that are, t- are doing real estate and they're tearing it up today. So it kind of makes me feel good that I was able to do that. I wrote an ethics course that I taught for five years. Stephen, I went to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology. I was on an outreach program, went into the community. I told my story 40 times to local businesses and uh, college students. And then I wrote a paper with a professor from the University of Minnesota that we had co-authored together, just had it published in the Business Journal of Ethics this year. And, um, It gets taught at the college level for uh, forensic accounting classes, for sales and marketing classes. So I was very productive while I was gone. I had this plan. I was going to come home. I was going to teach. I was going to build a coaching and training platform, which I've done. And my goal, like I said earlier, is to give back, to provide some hope and inspiration to people that, hey, look, go stub your toe, because that's how we move forward. We learn by the mistakes that we make. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Don't let fear hold you back. Be conservative in your underwriting and push the needle forward, grow your business.
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's just something really, really important about this story that I wanna underline. I think a lot of people are noticing it, but for those that maybe haven't, it's just this concept, this idea that we can go through, we can work on doing the right things, but sometimes we can make mistake. And sometimes when that mistake happens, there's consequences, there's things, there's people who want to place blame and we can place blame on ourselves. But at the end of the day, we have an opportunity, no matter how bad things get to be able to have a comeback to be able to make a decision that we're going to create a better life, that we are going to take one foot and put it in front of the other. And that doesn't mean that every day as we're making that journey won't be difficult, but on the other side, there's going to be lessons and there's an opportunity for each of us to be able to inspire other people and not let our history or our past hold us back from moving forward to make an impact in the future. And I'm grateful that you're sharing your story and I appreciate what you've been through to get to this point. I mean, you messed up big time and you were able to come out of it really a better person as a result. That doesn't mean you're a bad person going into it. You made a a bad mistake, a mistake that I really believe that many of us could have made. I don't look down upon you, and I hope none of the listeners will as well. I mean, some people may come with judgment, but that's their own judgment to carry. And so I want to share that publicly because I think that at the end of the day, the most important thing to remember for all of us is that there's always a path forward, always a path to redemption. And as investors, it's incredibly important to know who you're investing with and what experiences they've been through. What are their beliefs? Do they believe it's possible to come back and come back from mistakes? And and what are those lessons that they are going to implement in their life? So I I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I'm glad that we have some of the same beliefs about how to conservatively underwrite and avoid some of those same mistakes, because that's definitely the way we've been building our business. But it's always nice to be able to see a warning of where life could go and an example of where life, the life that we actually want to be is right now. So talk to me a little bit about after this experience, going through that change, what brings you back to this space after going through a tough experience? Why not move into another field or do something different? Obviously, there's a love and draw for real estate. Yeah, I love real estate. And I love
1: specifically the apartment business. I love the multifamily space. And um, I think that there is a great amount of opportunity in it. You know, one of my missions always was to provide safe and secure housing for my tenants. I think there's a lot of single parents out there that have kids coming home uh, after school, uh, latchkey kids, uh, and, you know, need a place to make sure that they're safe and secure. That when they go in and that door locks behind them, they know that their kids are okay. Um, and, And that's always kind of been my mission around multifamily is to bring that type of a housing product to the marketplace. Uh, that in the past was, was running poorly and wasn't that type of a prop, wasn't that type of a place to live in. And I did that for a long time. Um, and I want to go back and do it again. So, you know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm coaching and training, but I'm looking, actively looking for deals and, and syndicating deals because, you know, I think that the mistakes I made that I've learned from could give some, uh, knowledge and experience to other people who are willing to listen and willing to absorb that because I think that it's that education, right? Hey, look, I can go pay for an educational program, but it's the wisdom from doing it, from actually pulling the trigger that you gain by, by time and by moving forward within that space.
0: Yeah, I'm a big believer in that idea of go and find people who have been through experiences. What can you learn? There's always something you can take away from every conversation, from every podcast, from every program, and then really be able to build that experience through actually executing and maybe potentially partnerships and things like this. So what advice would you have to potentially passive investors who are new to the multifamily space and they're looking to get in, they want to avoid some of the pitfalls that obviously you experienced. And, uh, I'll have a follow-up on that as well, but I'll save that for a second. Uh,
1: you know, from a passive standpoint, uh, l- look at your sponsor, um, see who your sponsor is. Um, I, I, a lot of times we look at the deal, and, and then we look at the sponsor and we say, Oh, maybe the sponsor, uh, you know, maybe didn't underwrite something properly, or um, you're unsure of the sponsor. Well, you know, really put your meat in the deal and who are the sponsors partners? Cause I don't think anybody in this space today is doing any operations, any syndications by themselves. You know, back 10 years ago, when I was syndicating deals, we did everything ourselves. But I think today people bring partners to the table or strength in the deal. You know, the deal's one thing, but let's bring some strength to the organization because the more people that are involved, the better the deal looks from a, a financial perspective, from an operational perspective, from a um overall uh, asset protection perspective. And those are the things that we need to look at, um, you know, as a car, as a carpenter, right? And, and the philosophy in carpentry is measure twice, cut once. And, and that's what you should do, vetting a sponsor.
0: Vetting a deal is measure twice, cut once. So really spend that time really understanding who you're investing with and then making that decision based on that information i think that's that's really powerful what would you recommend to to folks who are going through life right now and and they're thinking about they're in that place of fear they're in that place of thinking back to you know times when they were worse maybe they had a personal experience back in 2008 maybe they've just heard about it maybe they have fear about investing in real estate in general what would you share with them advice or lessons that you've learned to help them overcome it or move through it? You know, um, here's what, here's what I equated to. Um, if you're afraid of the dark, does
1: that mean that you're not going to go outside after dark and take the garbage out or walk the dog? Probably not. You're going to have a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation, but go outside in the dark, you know, same thing with, with a deal. Don't let fear hold you back. Uh, if you believe in the market, if you believe in the rent growth, if you believe in the deal itself and that you believe in your partner or you believe in the people that are on the partnership team that have the strength in the space, then move forward. But you can't sit in fear because nobody grows professionally till we grow personally. And if fear is holding us back, it's not going to allow us to grow personally or professionally so i like to try and bust through people's fear and move on you know what what's the acronym fear the acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real
0: and most of the time it's just wrong information yeah that is true and and oftentimes it's just how can you gain some more insight so that you can actually face it the key thing is to not let it control you but you really need to be able to turn into it work through that and be able to move forward past it. So in wrapping up, talk to us a a little bit about what you'd love to share with people as we wrap things up here.
1: What I want to share with people is um, move forward, go get the education that you need. A lot of times people um, don't do things because they don't have the proper knowledge, go get the knowledge, go to a seminar, go to a training, get a coach, um, get somebody who will mentor you and teach you. Remember I said early on, success leaves clues. There's plenty of successful people out there. Go see how they did it and you know, move yourself forward. I think that you need to um, explore things you haven't explored before. And if you fall down, okay, get back up. If you stub your toe, shake it off and go on. Um, I think that we all learn
0: as a result of uh, taking the initiative and even the mistakes that we make along the way. Yeah, that's such good advice. Well, thanks for joining us for sure. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm all over social
1: media, right? So Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, like me, love me, um, YouTube channel, go subscribe. And then uh, I love to network. I love to meet people. If people have questions, call me directly, email me at mike at mycoreintentions.com. And uh, if you have Alexa, just say, Alexa, play the most
0: recent copy of Insider Secrets. Wonderful. Well, it was great having you. We'll include that in the show notes. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. If you guys are just listening for the first time, or you've been here for a little while, I encourage you to head over on iTunes, go drop a five-star review so we can keep inviting more great folks on. It's one of the best tools to be able to recruit other great guests. And we thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining for another incredible episode of the investor mindset. It's such a joy to be able to share these beliefs, these thoughts, these ways of living with each and every one of you guys because I just know the power that it can make. And for some of you, for the select few of those people who are truly committed to going after their goals, the people who really believe that there's another level from where they're operating right now, the people who are ready to make change happen rapidly and even if you're somebody who is stuck who knows what you need to do you know exactly the strategy but for some reason you're not doing it for those people there's another option there's another level that you can reach and what i've noticed after coaching tons and tons of people through this process is that there's a simple formula and when you can start to understand how to unlock those pieces within yourself, you'll start to feel more vibrant, you'll start to feel more energized, you'll start to make more money, and you'll start to enjoy the process through and through. So if you're somebody who's in a position, you're ready to make change happen, you're ready to invest in yourself, you really believe that the best investment, the truest ROI is investing in yourself because it continues to give back over and over again, then I invite you to schedule a call, share a little bit about yourself and see how he might be able to help serve you with the Investor Mindset coaching. You can head right over to InvestorMindset.com slash discovery, set up a call, and if there's an opportunity to serve, I'll be right there with you. Thanks, and I look forward to uh, talking to you soon.